It's absolutely everything is happening. It is at once in the studio. I might here. have to get a selfie while you're talking as well, Tommy. Go. Cam's just blown our eardrums away with the intro. Very good. Cam's on a diet, gluten-free, wheat-free, uh, dairy-free. But funnily enough, Tom, nothing because of anything we've had or any guests that we've had on the program. No. After you know, just 49 episodes yeah. of listening to us, many many years, Polly waffle on mm. about uh, nutrition. It took uh, a visit to the doctor to actually get Cam yes. to. Uh, just a regular GP. Yep. Onwards and upwards, though, Cam. And we've also just had uh, in here in Cafe Vivo, where we record the podcast, yes. uh, a famous Australian actress, Tony Collette, has just swan past. Well, I got a kill. Yeah. So, so I, she looked at me. <laughs> she so did I look got at the you. Kill. Yes. So we're, it's on. Notch that but one up on the board. Yes. Yep. On the lipstick case. Definitely. She had that air of celebrity about mm. her. Yes. Yeah. That's why she was attracted to me, too. <laughs> yeah, much like yourself. Yes. Now, mate, we've got a really big show on today. Massive. Uh, lab coats absolutely on. We're here with uh, Dr. Hewitt and Dr. Dubois. Yes. Um, That's nice. Yeah, yeah, Professor Dubois. Doctorate mm. in polywaffle. Mm. And mm. I've mm. Uh, just completed my master's in yes. uh, witch doctoring. <laughs> <laughs> No, yes, but we actually yes. do have a real doctor on the program today. Yes. Dr. Mark Schaus joins wow. us uh, from Nevada. Mm. He has been on the program twice before. Yeah, look, we've, we've milked his uh, skill set uh, significantly before, but mm. uh, this one's a... a this is good. Yeah, this is a bit different. So we've got, we're have got we going to do a, a four-part series yep. with Schausy. We're doing it on pathology. Yeah. Yep. So anyone in the industry who is in any way interested in looking at that side of things yeah. or you deal with clients who go to a doctor and get a blood test and, and come back to upskill yourself yeah. and the like, ability to converse with them absolutely to, mm. to hold a good conversation around these various markers uh, that's what we're going to do with Shousey over yeah. four parts yeah. part one today is basically the, the basic blood markers that you get on your standard panel oh, yeah, your vitamin D's your TSH thyroid all that type of stuff yep yep so we go zinc mag D we're going to look at the fasting glucose versus fasting insulin yep thyroid blood lipids and iron beautiful um, but along the way apart from just going through those markers he does drop many pearls of wisdom as to yep. their relevance in overall health yeah and the applications of uh, quality nutrition and lifestyle factors yeah, yeah. and, and what, what what this all means and how it all fits together in a nice little package yeah um, so it's quality stuff definitely um, pens and pads out for that one with Shousey mm. the lab coats on for us absolutely mm. Now, Rawdon, also uh, what we're going to do, you've been on an extended little fat loss journey. Yeah. Now, it was a bit of an enforced layoff. Yes. Um, there was uh, various uh, hemorrhoid-based activities, which... Uh, there was a little. There was <laughs> which a little. Or a lot. Basically... Uh, pulling uh, close to 300 kilos, uh, it doesn't come easy, Tom. No. There's consequences. There's consequences. So there's been no way training for you for at least six weeks now. Yep. And um, you've just thought, well, I'll go to the... Uh, the other end of the extreme and I'll um, get as lean as I possibly can yep so what we're gonna do is have a bit of a chat about the physiology of fat loss yep from a more practical perspective we've been over the ins and outs of it on yep. past episodes but we're just gonna 
explore what actually happens with fat loss yeah, over a 24 hour period you know, yeah, yeah. you know do you lose fat while you're doing cardio yeah do you stop losing fat when you're eating food yeah you know yep, all yep. these what basics happens? what happens so yeah. we'll, we'll go through line. that all coming up on the program today now the true celtic yep for those of you who would like to uh explore the benefits of celtic sea salt harvested off the coast of france yes mixed in with all of the above ginger and cinnamon to yep. start your day with a squeeze of lime go to under the bar itunes page yep leave a review of of the episode mm. or the program and so it doesn't have to be a good review anything mm. anything any, any a kind scathing of review will do Polly Waffle you want to put down there is absolutely fine take a screenshot of that yep email through to info at underthebarpodcast.com how many Tom how many are we, are we going to two per well, episode well not us I mean how many is Sean Two per episode. We'll we'll give out. Generous. Yes, yes. yes. Very good. So that's everything there. Uh, To find out more about yourself, they go The Dubois Method, Facebook and Instagram. Well, .com. It's coming soon still. The Dubois Method .com. Elusive. (laughs) Yes. Mysterious. (laughs) Mythical. Mythical. And uh, TomHewitt.com.au to learn about myself. Righto, Rawdon. So we had uh, Dr. Mike Isretel on the last two episodes, parts one and two. Yep. Fantastic stuff. And you've... Great feedback from... uh, Because we've been wanting to have him on for a little while. Yep. And uh, the response has been really good. Yep, absolutely. You know, off the back of that, some bits and pieces have sort of fallen into place for yourself in terms of the physiology of fat loss and how it's actually happening. You know, like, I think... um, Isretel gave a very good breakdown or explanation as to how muscle growth happens yeah, and, yeah. and the process of the... As we've asked everyone, that one. Yeah, and I think he gave us the best explanation. I've forgotten it, but it was good at the time. <laughs> it was good uh, in terms of, you know, the enzymatic machinery and the muscle yep. signaling and, yep. the, and the growth cycle and blah, blah, blah. Yep, fascinating um, stuff, though. And so you picked his brains, I guess, on the, the process of fat loss as well. And it's, you know, really made sense for you and, and, yeah. and applicable at the moment because of what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, it has influenced what I've, I've done. There's a couple of points that we... Uh, we went over it was basically uh, okay cool I know negative energy balance not the only thing that's going to influence fat loss but the fundamental the thing primary that, yeah the primary you've got to have a negative energy balance somehow either increased energy expenditure or consuming less en- less going in or more going out fundamentally yes macro ratios and, and, and subs and uh, timing and all that type of stuff consistency they all come into it but essentially if you get the, the energy balance correct then uh, fat loss will occur or uh, weight gain will occur, muscle mass will occur, if everything else is good. But my question was, yeah, cool story, but but when? Like, what's happening? Like, yeah. it, it does it turn, you know, uh, clock tick midnight and then boom, okay, there you go. That was your, <laughs> your, your 500 calories less that, that last 24 hours. There so, that, yeah, the fat's gone, whoop, you know, make up that last little bit and then it ticks over into, the, like, Obviously, it doesn't work like that, but I was curious, like, over, over a given period, what does it look like? Are we, uh, you know, uh, uh, when we do the, the any sort of training, are we burning fats then? Or, you know, is, is, is weight training, depending on what type of training it is, is more glycogen dependent? When does the fat loss occur? Is it when I do some steady state cardio? And like you said, applicable for me, because I'm living in as, as a cardio bitch at, at, at this time of the... Mm. Uh, this point in time and, and cardio three times a day yeah yeah but the thing is 
that's all I can do. Like uh, you, you mentioned that I did have uh, some uh, surgery, I guess, uh, downstairs, and uh, that was a, <laughs> what they call a, a hemorrhoidectomy. For and everyone can have a bit of a giggle at that one, yeah. but rubber gloves on, rubber gloves on. But uh, anyway, long story short, surgery, no training for eight weeks. So rather than just uh, uh, you know, I'd already been on a, a fat loss phase for our listeners uh, might have recalled a couple of DEXA scans, tracking things there, and, and progress was going really well. So I figured eight weeks I'll, I'll uh, throw in some um, you know negative energy balance. I'll do some cardio training and uh, because that's all I can do. Like even the intervals, uh, if I wanted to do that, would have been too intense. Probably now I could, but um, but Pretty it was eight just, weeks, and that's what he said. So I'm yeah. sticking to the eight weeks. And the cool thing is, uh, after this type of surgery, it um, it is you're good to go. So there's no well take it easy. You know, once the eight weeks is up, I wouldn't do okay. that anymore. It's like no. Nah, you can go back to lifting heavy. Obviously, there'll be no zero strength there, but I'm hoping I'm going to get those newbie gains and that anabolic uh, machinery and signaling is going to be uh, back to like someone that's first started training for the first time. Absolutely. Uh, it is a basically, yeah. My question was, okay, cool. When, well, when's my body burning fat? So it was really interesting. Mike said uh, first he, he said, "Yes, yeah, well, unfortunately, I don't have a PhD in exercise physiology, so I can't answer that." <laughs> he goes, "Well, actually, yes, I do." And yeah. He laughed and said. He explained it in quite uh, simple terms. And, and what he basically explained was, okay, negative energy balance will uh, equate to uh, fat loss over time, generally speaking. But what actually happens in a, uh, in a given period, if you imagine a timeline, uh, when we consume uh, energy, there will be a period after postprandial, so the state, absorptive state after you eat, uh, the meal, and depending on the size of the meal, will, will influence how long that, that state is. Obviously, a smaller amount of energy going in, obviously, it'll be utilized uh, over a, a shorter, shorter period. period of time. Yep. A bigger meal would last longer. So, what happens is you actually go through a period of fat gain every meal. There'll be, there'll be some fat gained from that meal. Then there will be a period where some of the energy that you take in at that point in time will go to basic physiological functions. Yep. Okay, so the body just uses... Heart, brain, Yeah, organs. all that type of stuff. So yep. some of the energy in the bloodstream, the, the macronutrients will be utilized for that. And then there'll be fat gain. The body goes, great. Okay, this energy is left over for now. Let's store it. Boom. Because that's what it does. Stores energy so it can use it later. Mm-hmm. But then there'll be a period of, okay, shit, we don't have any calories now. Let's mobilize some fatty acids. So your stress hormones go up. Your catecholamine, adrenaline goes up. Uh, cortisol. Growth hormone also plays a role. But you break... Uh, adipose tissue down uh, fat into the bloodstream and then that fat is is used to as energy and hence you know fat loss over time or over that 24-hour timeline i should say so uh, then you'll eat another meal again then the body will go great calories coming in let's store some fat bang 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 and then it's like whoa okay we uh, bloodstreams there you know there's no nutrients at the moment let's mobilize some fatty acids again stress hormones go up you know you mobilize fatty acids from adipose tissue use the energy so when you look at a 24-hour timeline it's periods of of fat gain then fat loss fat gain then fat loss Mm -hmm. fat gain fat loss now if the negative energy balance is set correctly uh, if you are in a negative energy balance then those periods of fat loss would uh, outweigh the periods of fat gain so if you if you looked at a line you have like a a curve above the line for for fat gain then a curve below the line back up to baseline for 
uh, fat loss. And if you added up all the, the spots under the line for fat loss, that would equate to more than the fat gained above the, and then you've lost body fat. Yep. Now, if you had too frequent uh, meals and you have high energy at each of the meals, obviously there'd be very uh, small percentages under the line of fat loss, because under the line is fat loss, over the line fat gain, or a positive energy balance. Yep. So if you have bigger energy intake, that's cool if you're having, uh, you could have your five or six small uh, meals, then you'd have these little blips of, of uh, fat gain, or and then you have a little blip of, of fat loss. Yep. Then still over the period, you'd have more under the line, you get fat loss, or you could have three bigger meals, you'd have a bigger period of fat gain, that postprandial absorptive state would last for longer, but then you longer, you know, instead of uh, three hours, it's five hours to your next meal, then those last two hours, it's like a mobilized fatty acids. Yep. And then uh, you still achieve fat loss, so you could do it through the the, the bigger meals uh, less frequently or the smaller meals more frequently, but yep. still energy balance per se that's uh, influencing things. Mm. So that was a really interesting perspective. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize it was the periods of fat gain and then fat loss, fat gain, fat loss. So that's one way to look at it, yep. uh, 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 I guess, when you're consuming food. Mm. You would, so, um, sorry, maybe, I'm sure you would be experiencing this now and I know uh, I know what it's like as well. I, like I can literally visualize the feeling. There's a certain point uh, yeah, after a meal when you are in a fat loss period yeah. where you have this feeling yeah where you it's almost like you just know you know what i'm burning fat now yeah. or, or there's a certain sense of unease or yeah well, just something in the, the body stress hormones, the stress hormones yeah, yeah. so I, I actually spoke about this i said hey man like when i'm doing my cardio i just feel like i'm about to drop dead am i going to and he goes look have you dropped dead before i went hmm, no not yet and he goes okay well you're probably not going to and what it is is the the, the spikes in uh in stress hormones because as you start and this is interesting too for our mm. listener because I said, all right, what happens when I get on the treadmill? And he goes, okay, what happens is first you, you would utilize anything in the bloodstream, okay, any any nutrition, so uh, any energy that's in the bloodstream, you would, uh, well, stored, stored energy, ATP in the muscle and the legs working, whatever you're doing. Uh, intramuscular fat stores will get utilized then. Uh, any energy substrates in the bloodstream will get utilized, but then you would start tapping into fatty acids, yeah, uh, yeah. breaking down adipose tissue. So, so once the, you've cleared the bloodstream, yeah, in, so into like the, first, re, the reserves. Yeah, the first 15, 20 minutes, it's just clearing all that 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 residual uh, energy, uh, what's stored in the muscle tissue and, yep. and, and in the bloodstream, and uh, uh, that's perfectly fine and part of the process. And you actually, uh, you know, as you're breaking down the uh, and don't ask me to get too technical. Sure, I've got the lab code on Tom, but mm. not you know carbon bonds and breaking down the the, the fatty acids, and you're actually breathing out more carbon dioxide. Yep. So the workout. That's why anyone who who does do steady state, they'll start fine, and then towards the end of it, you you you're breathing like a dragon, you know, mm. and that's because there is an increased burden. You're expelling all this waste, yes, carbon dioxide waste. These the carbon, uh, the byproduct of the oxidization of, of fat. the fatty acids. Yep. Correct. Yep. The backbone of the fat. Yep. yep. So, um, so that was fascinating as well. So I went, okay, this is all starting to make a little more sense. So hopefully our listeners would uh, enjoy that that simplistic view on things. Obviously, there's it, it's not 
all the only factors that are involved. I'm just giving a, a little bit of a, a breakdown, an overview of what actually happens. In, yeah, in look, a I think it's period. You know, one of the great things about that, mate, is to actually now have an understanding of what the body is going through when you're in this fat loss journey. Yeah. So that you have a mental awareness of what stage yeah. you're actually in and, through, and, throughout and, the day. And, 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 you, and you're not going to feel good all the time. Like it's it's going to feel unpleasant. Of course. You know, yeah. you, you're, you, the body is essentially in a starvation mode, and it's and it's for, you're forcing it to do something it doesn't want to do. Mm. Like it likes to have a fat reserve. We're, yep. we're forcing it to break its fat reserve down so it actually has no survival mechanism. You know, mm. it's it's going against uh, evolution. So it's no wonder that the you know and all the toxins stored in fat and and I mean there's tons of reasons why uh, you know you won't be feeling a million bucks while you're in certainly in the latter stages of a of a you know a, a fat loss journey anyway mm. you know it's um yeah it's all part and parcel of fun fun and games that we that we do that's the process and it mm. just requires a certain mindset before you can get started with it yes yes very good all right mate well done thank you. <laughs> Under the Bar podcast with Rawdon and Tom. Mate, very interesting what you were saying about those stress hormones mm. and their role in fat loss. I've been thinking a lot about stress lately, mate. I've been yeah, yeah, yeah. following this um, this guy, Dr. Joe Dispenza, reading a couple of his books, and he's got a, a wonderful explanation on stress and how it affects physiology and, and also neurology and psychology and how yeah. it all works. Like, we've all heard the old caveman versus saber-toothed tiger analogy yep, yep, where yep. you know saber tooth yeah. tiger comes along look out we get this intense release of these stress hormones that you're talking yep, about adrenaline. to mobilize energy mm. so that we can get away from this saber tooth tiger so yep. you know you sprint you run you do that and as uh, as charles poliquin has has often explained when this happens mm. any unnecessary physiological functions shut down so mm. you don't need they to put on hold you don't need to digest food while you're yep. being chased your immune system doesn't need to be functioning while you're yep. being chased so that all stops but Six. then <laughs> You get away from it, and then 15 minutes later, you're back to foraging for berries and, mm. you know... And, and having sex. And having sex <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And that's the way it's designed to work. Mm. In modern man, of course, we don't have these intense surges of saber-toothed tiger-induced no. stress release, but we no. do get the emails and, we're, and we, we do. do get the bills to oh, pay. Oh, remember those emails back where we used oh. to work. Imagine those. Ooh. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. What have we done? What, what have we, we got to do? What price do we have to sell our soul for this time <laughs> yeah, but yeah. um we live in this state where we've got these chronically elevated stress hormones all yep. the time and so the things that we mentioned the sex the uh, digestion mm. the immune system they're all just slightly compromised all yep. the time but it goes a step further than that Rod. this is fascinating yeah this bit it's not just the unnecessary physiological functions that shut down it's yeah. psychological processes as well okay when you're being chased by the saber-toothed tiger mm. there's no need for uh, higher thinking or creative think- yeah. thinking or, or love or compassion yeah. or any of these higher emotions i was gonna say no love or emotion i think i must be living in this this sympathetic state 24 7 24 7 mate yes but uh, further than that mate all you actually think about is yourself mm. because you think about your body am yes. i safe yeah. You think about time. How quickly can I get away from exactly. this thing? Where all you're literally focused on is yourself, time, mm. and what's around you. Mm. And uh, he went on to explain that you know if you find yourself constantly obsessing over your appearance and your, and your physique, tick, uh, constantly concerned about material things, money and objects and and no, stuff around you. Not really care about that. Constantly focused on or pressured by time. You know, tick. 
tick. Where you There's tick. only so many coffees I can do in a day, Tom. Exactly, it's man. It's a good indication that you are actually running off this sympathetic nervous system mm. and, you know, these stress hormones... The fight-or-flight response, yeah. Yeah, are elevated and um, it really... And, and the, the interesting point for you is it really hit a raw nerve and, 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 yes. and you being you, you you take these things on board and you you've actually legitimately stru- restructured your world absolutely mate because he then goes on to explain how the chronic long-term elevation of these hormones yeah. push the genetic buttons that yes. cause cancer and disease yeah and, and that what would make sense it absolutely does and what i realized was that whilst i don't necessarily you know obsess that much about material things around me i am constantly worried about time focused yeah. on time when am i doing this who's up next when is this due yeah. but it was a real wake-up call for me of you know how much of my existence is running off stress hormones running on empty and, and he also explained Rod, and you, you know you spoke about these rushes of uh, surges of adrenaline and these yeah. hormones in between meals yep. you know the, the adrenaline and the rush that you actually get from that although it may be unpleasant is actually quite addictive yes uh, and the, the human brain the, the psyche starts to actually want to run off these hormones more and more and it yeah. creates this catch-22 this vicious yeah. cycle of uh, stress hormone production emotional response yeah. and it, it keeps getting your fix ticking itself over and if you actually think about this self-obsessed phenomenon that seems to materialize itself on social media platforms of the fitness yeah. industry or the leaner and the deeper into these contest preps and and fat loss journeys that people go into the more self-obsessed they tend to become and you look at the the pictures and the photos and the stuff that goes up on I mean you you, you have done uh, a couple of photo shoots now and uh, it is it's all you you can you know every 20 seconds you know you feel your stomach you lift your shirt up am I getting leaner am I you know you're always thinking about this and also in your workplace whether it's fitness or not if you think about the most stressed individuals that you know, yeah. is there a correlation between those individuals and the most self-obsessed and self-absorbed yeah. people? Yeah. Typically speaking, there yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Usually yeah. rushed around for time and uh, yeah. or, or ticked all those boxes you just mentioned. So it's just it was a real um, a real wake-up call for me. And the unique thing we have as humans is our ability to create these hormones with just our thoughts alone. Mm. So it needn't actually be... A saber-toothed tiger. Well, I haven't seen any of those for months. No, it could be the thought of or mm. a memory of. Can um, absolutely fascinating. Can, so uh, it's yeah. a pretty uh, scary reality, really. Scary reality, and and you know? I mean, apart from the long-term health benefits from yeah. a physique or recovery perspective, in the sympathetic state where mm. stress, fight or flight response, it's yep. a catabolic state. That's why these hormones are elevated when you're burning fat. It's catabolic. Yes. But in terms of muscle growth, recovery and repair, yeah. constantly living in this state and well and truly it's, deep into it, there's not very, do any little, very little muscle growth going on there because that's, that's an anabolic state that you need to get yourself into. Yeah, yeah. Rest and digest and that parasympathetic, that's when the magic happens. As, Absolutely. As, as, as we say, uh, you know, while you're sleeping, while you're away from the gym is, is actually where the magic happens. Yeah. Not at the gym because you are in a sympathetic state while you're training. I mean, yeah. Paul Carter made reference to it um, in, when he was talking about the, the nervous system recovery and particularly lifting very uh, heavy weights. You're basically getting yourself ready for a, a street fight, mm. you know, mm. five times in an hour. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty full on. Um, but yeah, that's very interesting. And and, and I will 1,000% uh, agree that, that stress, if I were to, um, yeah, fortunately, I've had a, a reasonable uh, amount of success with my competitors generally speaking but there are we all have these as coaches there's always a, a few and, and and you've had the the touch of the kennedys um there's been a few over the years that um that just haven't uh, you know been able to get them where they 
not through a lack of trying and and diligence on their behalf, but but their physique just hasn't uh, yeah. unfolded, and the, the body composition hasn't been able to be achieved this time around. And uh, you know, I would have you know once upon a time said, well, you know, it's, it's genetic, that individual variability. You know, some people can, some people can't, but. But um, that certainly has uh, that individual variability certainly comes into it for sure in in regards to what the end result could be, yeah. uh, and that's why it varies from person to person. But but um, but I would certainly say that that of uh, my clientele that that haven't achieved what they wanted to with me, there's been an underlying massive amount of stress that the that the individual has been yeah. uh, dealing with. And, um, you know, my clients, that, and you would probably attest to this too, your clients that, that are not living in that stressful existence are probably the ones that, that you know, you tweak things and change things and... Uh, stuff happens. Stuff happens, yeah. yeah, exactly like it should. Yes. You know, it's not rocket science. As it's, per it's program. Per, as per program, yeah. yeah, super coach stuff. You know, so whatever it is, you need to nip it in the bud because uh, I, I'm seeing time and time again this correlation with anyone with uh, even to the point where where they come in and see me, I, I look at their lifestyle and said, "Bro, there's no way, it's not going to happen, not going to happen, not yeah. until you change this, this, and this." You know, some good things that we can give our listeners are focusing on that sleep and um, and, and I guess you know the meditation is a great one that you mentioned, but. But I think also just identifying what the stresses are and um, making a conscious effort to actually change them, you know, yes. because I've lived in this world, you know, I, without naming names, I was I was in a, a working environment that was a, a stress on me and then mm. left that environment and now it's, it's you know, my, my existence is... Uh, so and, 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 yeah. and, and it's interesting this time around. I, I will add that, remember last time, um, my fat loss and I explained to you I was spinning the wheels for quite a length of time at the end mm. there and this time around so touch wood I mean it's been quite linear and quite progressive this uh, yep. energy restriction as per and, program and as per program mm. as as the 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 uh, effort and, and uh, energy balance has been manipulated so too has the body responded accordingly yes. and the fundamentally what's the big difference the big difference is my existence uh, you know I haven't I haven't worked in the last when did I leave you know yeah, uh, yeah. 10 months yeah. uh, it's not you know because you now I changed my lifestyle but but that's not always possible for everyone but mm. but it's identifying the issue and then then dealing with it whichever way you can and um you know I really think it's a, it's a big game changer yep absolutely Under the Bar Podcast. My name's Tom. With me as always is Rawdon. G'day, mate. Yeah, g'day, Tom. And uh, and with you always is, of course, Cam. Yes. Hello, Cam. How are you? Yep, Cam's Good. got the thumbs up. Thumbs now, up. as we reference at the start of the show, Rawdon, we've got to... Uh, well, both yeah. arms into the lab coat. Well, deep, deep, deep into the wizard's sleeve. We're really pulling out some magic this time around, Tom. And we've got Dr. Mark Schaus back mm. on the line. Mm. Now, for those of you who haven't heard him on the program before, you can skip down many programs ago, and there's a couple mm. of uh, episodes with Schausy on. Yep. We did a bit of an overview of toxicity. Yep. We've done the electrolytes. Yep. And Dr. Mark Schaus is an expert on human health and mm. environmental toxicity. He, yep. he has the author of the book, uh, achieving victory over a toxic world. Yep. So you can look that one up if you want to go a bit deeper into toxicity. Yep. His other skill set, apart from Russian history, <laughs> yeah, apart from Russian history, is uh, laboratory testing. Yeah. And pathology he d- work. Yes, he does actually own his own lab. In <laughs> As you do. In Nevada. And yeah. I dare say there's probably an extensive uh, array of uh, lab coats to go oh, with yeah. that. Oh, yes. yeah. Bunsen burners, but, beakers. Uh, uh, lab Interpretation, LLC. 
so we thought what we would do is get Chelsea on here and give us uh, an overview yes. of pathology mm. and what is uh, applicable to a, a health and fitness industry professional. Yeah. So that uh, our many uh, industry professionals that listen to this podcast yeah. have a skill set and a working knowledge to hold, you know, decent com- decent conversations yeah. with a, a doctor who they might refer a client out to yep. or a client that comes in with some blood tests and says, yeah. oh, you know, what's this? And, and so, yeah. once again, we're not doctors, despite yeah. the lab coats. Disclaimer. But uh, that's what we're here to try and achieve. Yeah, and I guess uh, just give them a little bit of an insight into uh, into the world of blood chemistry. And, um, you know, I'm not suggesting that you've got to do some... Uh, crazy elaborate type um, pathology testing methods these, these blood markers that we're going to cover uh, in, in these um, this interview with uh, Dr. Schaus uh, are, are your base uh, blood chemistry panel so um, nothing uh, uh, exotic Fancy. too yep. much but yeah it's going to be the basics A to Z of blood chemistry so exciting okay well he joins us on the line right now uh, Dr. Schaus welcome back to the program and thank you for your time thanks for having me again Awesome. Now it's very hot over there, and the air conditioner is broken. He's, uh, he's, he's melting. He's melting away, but he's got the electrolytes there, so he yeah, should be handy fine. On the side, very good. <laughs> now, Shaus, are you still doing your Russian history podcast? I am still doing it. Uh, just went over my two hundredth episode. Wow! Uh, got about eight million downloads now. <laughs> Holy moly! <laughs> so, well, you know, we might uh, we might flick a, a sneaky Russian uh, history question in uh, and see if you get it right yeah. uh, in between. But um, we're going to probably stick to the blood chemistry today. That's a good idea. I might have to fake an answer, though. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Righto, Shousey. So before we get started, um, in part one, we just want to cover the uh, the basics well, of we- general health that um, quite often get tossed around in the industry. You know, people say, you know, the zinc and magnesium, vitamin D status, blah, blah, blah. Before we go through these, could you give a bit of an overview as just to why these basic blood markers are important for general health and what role they play in human physiology? Well, when we look at the first two, zinc and magnesium, uh, two trace elements that are crucial for human health, especially for those people who want to be in fitness. Uh, Zinc's involved in a lot of amino acids like aspartic acid, glutamic acid, cysteine, histidine. Uh, They're really important in uh, muscle growth, bones, kidney, liver function. Uh, And when we look at zinc deficiency, there's about 2 billion people that are considered zinc deficient in the world today out of 7.1 billion people. That's about 28% of the world's population is zinc deficient. Mm. And when we talk zinc deficiency in the terms of what medicine looks at it, it's severe deficiency. Right. Right. When we look at marginal deficiency, we're probably doubling that to about 4 billion people. Oh, wow. Okay. So those figures were like really, really uh, significantly uh, deficient in zinc, not just uh, mildly or moderately. Yeah. And, And this is something I just learned in looking at the data today. Wow. I did not realize how profound it was. Uh, magnesium, in a study done in the United States, 32% of the people, only 32%, get the recommended daily allowance, which is the minimal to get by. Okay. Mm. So 68% don't even get the minimum. And this has been replicated around the world. So these are the two big ones to look at. Okay. Uh, and the other one's vitamin D. It, it gets a lot of press right now with vitamin D, but how do we test for it? How do we know how competent we really are? Because we can guess that we're taking it uh, and we're maybe supplementing it, but we may be supplementing it with something like zinc oxide, which is pretty useless. 
yeah. really doesn't get absorbed. But that's the one they put in all those big multivitamins. Okay, and because right. uh, it's cheap, and so it's cheap and worthless. Okay, well, let's um, obviously. I think what you're suggesting there is these these basic ones that we're going to cover initially are, are pretty much the the fundamentals of um, ensuring you have a healthy physiology. So they're not necessarily. Uh, I mean, they're going to be performance enhancing to some degree if you're deficient, if you're an athlete. But these are the the, the ones that we're going to cover initially. That that are, are basically at the very least you want uh, these blood markers. To be relatively uh, in the optimal reference range. Exactly, and and it's how do you test it with zinc and magnesium? Typically, what they do is they just look at plasma, or they just look at your your blood and just measure that. But unfortunately, most of the zinc and the magnesium are inside your cells. Okay. Uh, so right. you want to look in the red blood cell itself to see how much is there. But the optimal way is actually looking at all of the blood looking at both the extracellular, what's outside, and the intracellular, what's inside. If you can find those labs that can do both, then you get the real picture of what's going on. So that's the optimal way of looking at those two. Okay. Can we go to something else like vitamin D? Yep. There's a couple different tests. One is called a 25 OHD, yep. and the other one is the 125 OH2D. It's the 25 OHD you want to do. That's the one that actually tells you, are you getting enough vitamin D? All right. So for zinc and mag, at the very least, uh, red cell uh, testing. So when you do request the magnesium and zinc, you know, request a, a red cell red cell reading, but optimally would be red cell and uh, serum levels. Is that what you're saying for the zinc and mag? Correct. Okay. Yep. And vitamin D, that's just your uh, serum levels of vitamin D, but it's the 1-OHD. It's the 25 OHD. 25 OHD. Really okay. Okay. All right. Right. So if we continue to look at some of the basic things that come up on a panel, I guess another one that we commonly look at would be the uh, fasting glucose. Mm. And so, Shasi, can you explain what the HbA1c, what that is indicative of? Yeah, hemoglobin A1c is indicative of the glycation of cells, hemoglobin basically, looks at the blood sugar as it's attached to the hemoglobin. But what's interesting about it is it looks at an average of three months. So it looks at how your blood sugar is working over a three-month period. Mm. But if you're really trying to improve your diet, say you, you go on a good diet, you start cutting out all your refined carbohydrates, you add your proteins, you get your good fats in, yep. and all this. Hemoglobin A1C doesn't seem to be a very good marker. Fasting insulin is the one that's sensitive and tells us, are we making progress in our diet? Hemoglobin A1C can take six months to 12 months before you actually see the improvements. Fasting insulin, you can do it within weeks. Okay. Right. So that's right. the way, and, and there was a study done in the Lancet, a, a British journal, that basically said people should stop doing the A1C and go to fasting insulin as the more accurate of the tests. Okay. Okay. So so for our listeners there, so what we're referring to, the fasting glucose is obviously seeing what uh, uh, glucose or, or sugars in your bloodstream after a fasting period and the HbA1c or the hemoglobin A1c is a snapshot of your... Uh, cellular health of the blood 
Um, if it's been exposed to a lot of sugar, there's going to be a lot of oxidization uh, on the, the blood cells. And that's where the HbA1c, and I think they use it with uh, type 2 diabetics and, and, and those sorts of things to see if they've, or, or diabetics full stop, to see if they're uh, controlling their blood sugar well. Um, is that right, uh, Dr. Schaus? And then the yeah. fasting insulin you're suggesting is a little bit more accurate because if you do change your nutrition and diet, it doesn't necessarily, what's well, going to take, like you said, six to 12 months potentially to change the HbA1c. So the fasting insulin is a, a little bit uh, of a faster way to see if you're um, back on the road to recovery in regards to managing blood sugars. Absolutely. And I, I work with a doctor in Tampa, Florida, who has one of the highest success rates in actually reversing type 2 diabetes. Wow. And he has about an 80% success rate of getting people off their medications. But his big thing is you have to be willing to work at it. Yep. Mm. You can't just let a drug take care of it and all will be better. Yeah. He says you got to work on getting yourself better. Okay. And yeah. getting off all the, the, the garbage carbohydrates, the sugars, the white rice, yeah. and things like that. So someone who has been uh, existing with a diet of garbage carbohydrates for a long period of time, and we're saying that this HbA1c can take 6 to 12 months to uh, sort of really reflect yeah. what quality nutrition is, is that because that's how long it takes for the body's cellular health to actually start to repair and heal and reflect a more healthy person? Exactly. It takes a while for you to you know, rebuild all your cells. Mm. And so okay. it's a slow process. Uh, your body's still reacting with all the insulin, so it takes a while yeah. for it to react and to build those healthy cells. Yes. So it's getting healthy is never an event. Too many people think, oh, I just take something and I get better. Yeah. Yes, because quite often people can switch from a bad diet onto a really healthy diet. And yeah. after a week or two, they can be feeling fantastic. They'll lose body fat and their performance will in, in mm. improve and everything will be great. But that's not necessarily reflective of what's happening on the inside. inside if you've yeah. had a, you know, years and years of, a, yeah. I guess, an abusive diet, yeah. um, it's going to be a long road out to really be genuinely healthy from the inside out. It can take years. Mm. And, you know, I've been at this for over 30 years now and what always happens is the people who want the quick fix are the ones who drop off first okay, because yeah. it's not you don't get sick overnight you don't become a type 2 diabetic because of one you ate a, too many chocolate bars hmm. you know in one day yeah. it's because you've done it over 20 years 30 yep. years exactly and you expect to reverse all of that in yep. a few weeks well mate all you need is a couple of tabs of metformin and then you're uh, good to go you know what's this you know months to repair just take a drug for it yeah. easy peasy yeah, until you lose your legs oh geez <laughs> alright okay cool so we've done mag we've done zinc uh, red cell for those two obviously fundamental uh, you know across the board in regards to general health but there's a performance element for those two as well um, the just before we move on to the next uh, marker that I want to check in this this basic panel the zinc um, and the mag uh, are they you know why, why is it that we're so deficient um, and I think I, I recall you saying in the past the soil quality but is that uh, applicable for magnesium as well just the the trace elements that we're exposed to these days there's just not much mag and, and, and zinc out there mm. Yeah, uh, I did a little study when I was in the state of Washington, and, and uh, the way they replenish magnesium in the soil, and Washington's a big growing region in the, in the states, uh, they do something, uh, they use the aftermath of aluminum processing, oh. and part of it is magnesium is in there, and it's magnesium oxide, and they just throw it onto the soil. Yep. 
of course there's a little bit of arsenic, a little bit of mercury, a little bit of lead, a little bit of cadmium oh, in there. Oh, but hey, there's magnesium. And this is what they do to replenish it. Just not in our soil. And they're putting aluminum byproducts on the soil to make the plants grow more. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't get absorbed into the human body. Okay. Right. And 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 I think there also you mentioned that it was an oxide, and uh, I think from memory the, the the magnesium oxides are similar to the zinc oxides. The bioavailability uh, is poor, and you need mm. some sort of chelated uh, type magnesium to to actually absorb it. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you chelate it to an amino acid, yeah, like glycine and uh, aspartate and things like that, that's where you're going to get some real absorption. But oxide. Yeah. If you take it, you maybe get 10, 12%, maybe okay. a little bit more of the magnesium absorbed. If you take the uh, chelates, you get more like 60 to 80%. Okay, beautiful. And same with the zinc, I'm assuming, there as well. Uh, the vitamin yeah. D, uh, before we go on to TSH and the, the thyroid uh, marker, vitamin D, is there a, from memory, there's a couple of different types of vitamin D. Uh, supplements uh, is one of them better than the other should our listeners be uh, if they see the vitamin D status poor uh, which one should they be reaching for yeah, well first it's got to be D3 okay so there's D2 and D3 D3 is the way to go but what I've seen and I've, I've experienced this personally is what they call mycelized vitamin D yeah, it's a different way of processing it's in a liquid form and I raised my vitamin D levels from about 50 to 76 in four weeks using that form of it and just using about 5,000 IUs a day which isn't a lot Mm. but it's just so well absorbed and it just gets into the body gets utilized builds up your reserves better than anything that I've seen okay and and and, uh, that's um, the vitamin D the 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 significance of vitamin D every cell in the body has a receptor to vitamin D yeah it's pretty much uh, profoundly involved in, in everything full stop Oh, it, I mean, the research that comes out, I, I get a newsletter every single week from the Vitamin D Council. Yeah. Uh, it's a council here in the United States that, uh, and you can just look up online for that. Yeah. And the studies that come out every single week on the significance of vitamin D in human health is astonishing. It re- reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease, cancers, uh, thyroid problems, mental problems. Yeah. Just so many different human conditions are improved by mm. getting your vitamin D levels up. Okay. Uh, Shasi, you got your vitamin D levels up in four weeks, but if someone comes in and their blood's pretty ordinary and uh, zinc and mag and vitamin D are all low and they get the right supplements and they take an appropriate dosage, how long can it take for these markers to start to reflect a healthy human? Really depends on the deficiency and how big they are. The larger you are, the more you're going to have to rebuild. Yep. Okay. I mean, it's to proportions. When you start taking 5,000 IUs a day of vitamin D, uh, that could take months before you get it yeah. into the high range mm. where it's you know, going to be significant. I've seen people take years to get wow. their total mineralization back up to normal because you also have to compete with the heavy metals that we're exposed to, the cadmiums, mm. the arsenics, the right. lead, the mercury, because they have some of the similar receptor sites you have to displace them, get rid of them, and okay. place them with the good stuff. And that, for some people, you know, smokers in particular, just, take years for that. So it's not just the fact that, uh, sure, food quality is not as high, there's not as much uh, trace minerals in the in the soil, 
but there's actually things in the environment that are that are robbing us from these minerals as well. So you're not just uh, replacing a clean slate; you're having to replace something that's constantly being depleted as well. Yeah, and then your body is using it as you're living. Yes. So yes. if you're trying to replenish and rebuild your reserves above and beyond you yeah. you're you're chewing up some of it as you're going along and the more deficient you are the more you're going to need to just catch up and to break even very interesting mm. so all right so let's move on from that one maybe for our listener uh they've uh, seen the low uh levels uh supplementation um obviously through the guidance through the through the practitioner of course uh and then maybe recheck in in something like 12 weeks uh mark would that be a, a, a fair enough time to recheck the levels to see if you're on the right track yeah everything from about three months to six months okay, okay. if you're significantly deficient then i would yeah. do it in three months yeah okay if okay. you're moderately deficient or not so bad six months Perfect. is okay because I, I look at this as the cost of all these lab tests yeah and yeah. the time off that you have to take is, is it really going to benefit you that much more to take another test yeah okay and yeah. you know I, I know in the business sense people are going wait a minute you're selling lab tests don't you want to sell more of them <laughs> yeah. and i want to like no 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 no. i want to sell them at the right time i don't yeah. want to waste people's money yeah. and you know have them ha run a test when it's really not that necessary okay Good advice there, man. Um, okay, another big one, base marker on a, on a routine uh, blood chemistry uh, report. Uh, TSH, or thyroid-stimulating hormone. What's that one about? And um, high, low, what, what are we looking for there? Yeah, this is one that when you look at some of the literature, they say, well, TSH isn't very valuable because people are within the range and are not you know, healthy and have a you know problem with their thyroid, and I'm going, yeah, it's because the reference range is wrong. Yeah. What they do is they look at the population, see where 95% of the people lie, and say, well, that's the reference range, that's the norm. Okay. Well, the problem is, is 35 to 40% of the people are hypothyroid, have problems with it. So it's not 5% who have a problem, it's 40%. So we're including a lot of people who are sick in this reference range, so they've made it too wide. So they're including people who are hypothyroid in there as being normal. Okay. That's kind of like a, a joke that goes around in pathologists. Uh, you know, the person's you know dies and they go, yeah, but everything was in the range. <laughs> like, well, that's fine. <laughs> Dandy, the person's still dead. Maybe our ranges are wrong. <laughs> and with TSH, that's the big one. And there was a huge study done in Colorado. Uh, it was about 40,000 people. And they determined what the proper reference range was for TSH, and it was far narrower than what the labs are doing. Okay. Uh, and this is the one time I know we didn't want to talk about reference ranges too much, but this is one where it's important. With the labs, they go from about 0.5 to 5.5. What this study found out, it was about 1.1 to 2.5. It was okay. much narrower, so you can catch people with hypothyroidism way before the lab would you would if you narrow things down and say what is really optimal yeah. when do you feel good all right not when are you about to die <laughs> all right so tsh marker of uh, a snapshot of thyroid health at that point in time and that one we will throw it out there um although we're not really giving uh, reference ranges for these blood markers today that is one that you know if you're near the the upper end of the reference range the high end of the reference range is probably one that you want to have a look at or a discussion with the uh, the medical practitioner you're liaising with because that can be indicative of like you said hypo 
uh, thyroidism. Mm. And, and, and that one, uh, for our listeners, is one that the higher the number, not the, the better. The higher the number, the, the slower the metabolic rate or, or, or the less efficient the thyroid is working. Is that yeah. correct, Mark? Right, because it's, it's a stimulating hormone. So it's trying to stimulate the hormone. Uh, the thyroid yes. and it's going hey thyroid start working a little better right come on right. keep on going come on push it push it push it yeah yep. it keeps on going higher and higher and going come on let's get going and if you don't have the things to produce the thyroid and to work it that tsh keeps climbing higher and higher as it tries to make that thyroid work mm. okay and uh, just quickly mark what would some of the symptoms of someone with that higher number there what would they be experiencing uh weight gain lethargy no energy at all inability to lose weight mm. you know I've, I've seen people who go out and they work at the gym three four five times a week work with a really high quality trainer mm. can't lose a pound yeah and then you look at their th tsh and it's five or six and you're going wow no wonder no Your wonder metabolism is so low that when you're at rest you can't burn the calories you need and and we think well all we have to do is work harder yeah. well 40 to 60% of our energy production is when we're resting, yes. when we're sleeping, when we're sitting down. So if we're affecting that, 7 or 8% even, just a little bit, that's enough to make it so you can't lose weight. Yes, you can't lose weight, but yet you go and get a blood test and it falls within the reference range, yeah. so everybody glosses over that yep. and move more, eat less. Yeah, and yeah. It's, uh, that, that's we should further compound things. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, that's TSH done. What about uh, moving on again? We're still just covering the basics here. What about your uh, lipids or your, your essentially your cholesterol or, or fat in the blood? What, uh, let's talk about those. What's, um, you know, triglycerides? You see that one come up in a, in a routine um, cholesterol check, but the LDL, the HDL, um, is VLDL more relevant, the, the very low-density lipoproteins? What's, um, I think... VLDL is a real interesting one because that's the one that I'm, I would be most concerned about. Okay. LDL, one of the first medical talks I did in 2005 was on LDL as a marker for environmental toxicity exposure. Because what LDL does is it flows around the bloodstream and it starts grabbing all these toxins, bringing it to the liver so HDL can remove it. Okay. So is LDL because we eat too much saturated fat? Nah. That's not what we're finding out anymore. Yeah, right. Are we eating too much cholesterol? No. And is cholesterol always the villain? And this is something for over 30 years I've said, cholesterol being the cause of heart disease is kind of us standing at the corner. Every morning we go to work, we stand at the corner and there's a car accident. And after about five days, the police come and arrest you because you caused the car accidents because you've been there five days in a row. Right. right. They're saying you're the cause of this. Well, unless you're standing suspect. there naked and jumping up and down, yeah. you're not the cause. You just happen to be the witness to it. Mm. And I think what cholesterol, LDL, HDL are, are witnesses to our bad dietary habits. Yeah. Uh, it's also one of the most egregious medical errors in in research history hmm. was that high cholesterol causes heart disease. I got to look at the Framingham data, which is one of the biggest studies ever done. And I worked for a company that was doing a, a statistical analysis for big medical device companies, pharmaceuticals, universities. And when I looked at the data and I said, I asked the question, what is the healthiest person's cholesterol? When all the other parameters of their chemistry are the best, what's the peak? And it was 212 and a half. 
So everybody trying to drive cholesterol under 200 was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> That's wrong because under 160, we increase the risk of cancer, suicide, depression, accidents, and depression and mental issues. We have too low of a cholesterol because you need it to wow. feed your brain. Mm, interesting. There was a study done in Pennsylvania back in the 1918, around that area, and they found out that they all had high cholesterol, but no heart attacks at all. It was one of the lowest coronary heart disease areas in the country. But as soon as stress started hitting and the family started breaking down and they started moving out of the area, all of a sudden these people were dying in their 40s. Really wasn't the cholesterol. It was the outside environment that we had. Mm. It was the lack of family. It was the higher stress levels. It was the additional oxidation. So when we look at these markers and say, you know, oh, I have high LDL, you know, low HDL, I got to take all these medications. It doesn't really bear out as to lowering your risk of heart disease that much yeah. as reducing your stress, improving your diet. And these numbers be damned, really. Yeah. And I think Dr. Uh, Johnny Bowden we had on, and that was uh, his sentiments exactly. And obviously, he's very uh, prolific in um, cholesterol. And um, yeah, and, he, it, it, and the research, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the research is just, it's not there. There's not a correlation with uh, uh, high cholesterol and increased heart disease. It's uh, the, the demographic that reduced cholesterol still had uh, the same incidence of, of cardiovascular disease. Like it's... Uh, and and the reason is actually the inflammation, like you mentioned, the stress and the, the lifestyle, nutritional choices, and all the, the, the crap that we put into our body. Mm. Yeah, and I, I love Johnny and his, and I've known him for many years, and he wrote a book with Dr. Stephen Sinatra, a cardiologist, you know, the cholesterol myth. Yeah. And there was another person who wrote a book with the same title, Dr. Ufi Raffenskopf, who was a nephrologist from the Karolinska Institute in, uh, in Scandinavia came up with the same thing back in the 70s wow because this is a, and i was on a panel with him and you know there's this other doctor going no 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 we have to lower cholesterol lower cholesterol and you know look how healthy i am and i'm looking at the guy saying you, you could be the unhealthiest looking person i've ever met <laughs> you know your cholesterol is 120 fabulous you can't think normally yeah yeah that and, level. and it's the okay. backbone for all our uh androgens Andrews. as well like mm. a, a pretty much all our hormones are made from cholesterol Exactly. And and how do you feed a brain that feeds on fat and sugar? You know, that our body creates and you remove the, the uh, fats. Yeah. Your brain is a fat. Yeah. It's this big glob of fat. And you start removing that. And over time, you're going to cause a lot of, lot of issues. So yeah. I think it, the only one that I'm really cons interested in is triglycerides. Okay. Because that reflects your fatty acid uh, reserves. And if it's really high... And we start looking at people with problems with alcoholism and, you know, really high carbohydrate intake. Okay. Uh, when it's really low, they have very low reserves of fatty acids that your body needs to create the hormones. Oh. That one correlates more to heart diseases, elevated triglycerides and coronary heart issues than cholesterol does by far, maybe fourfold better. Okay. Right. And with the uh, the alcohol and the high carbohydrate diet, Chelsea, how does that? So obviously, the amount of uh, fat in your nutrition is not necessarily the key influencer of you know, triglycerides in your blood. Right, and, and it has a lot to do with things like the uh, it's the high sugar that converts it into the fats that we don't want. You know, the the types of fats like margarine, the trans fats. Right. Those yep. are the ones that skew things. It's right. fats that clog our arteries, that cause our problems with fatty liver disease. Yep. So it's 
the proper, you know, saturated fat has been this evil, evil thing that we eat. And now we're finding out all the research is showing that, yeah, it's not so bad after all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And okay. then it's, a, it's a, such know? a such an interesting way to look at carbohydrates because, uh, you know, I'm sure our listeners are quite savvy, but to the average punter, yeah, you, if you eat excessive sugar, you're going to increase the fats in your blood and you'll increase adipose tissue. And they're like, no, no, it's, it's, it's carbs. It's not fat. I'm not eating fat. I'm eating carbs. Yeah. So it's a... Uh, it's quite a bizarre um, that chain of events, but yeah, okay. So poor nutritional choices, high sugar diets, uh, alcohol abuse, things like that. All right, so that's cholesterol. So cholesterol, the HDL, LDL, meh, okay, not necessarily indicative of things, but uh, the triglycerides in your uh, experience, the one to be aware of there, low and high having issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about iron to wrap up the, the basic uh, blood markers? You know, this is one that... Uh, will be in a routine blood chemistry. Um, talk to us about iron. Uh, I know that, um, you know, chronic fatigue, a lot of uh, uh, women will, um, with a, you know, heavy menstrual periods can often be low uh, in iron and, and, and their fatigue and, and performance in the gym. Let's talk about iron uh, to wrap it up. Iron is the number one nutrient deficiency in the world. Oh, wow. But it's right. in the third world that it's mostly deficient. Because they don't get enough of the the meats that contain the the iron, that's where in those types of proteins that iron binds to. But when it comes to the Western nations, uh, iron deficiency is kind of rare, uh, but it does exist. As you mentioned, with women, is one uh, vegetarians, vegans, have a a lot of iron deficiency anemias okay. and things like that. Iron. There's a uh, there's a professor at the University of Buffalo who has spent his entire life studying iron. And his name was Ernesto Pollitt, and he looked at all the different features of iron deficiency, from the way the brain functions, to the way the uh, uh, anemia and your ability, you know, with fatigue and things like that. There's a lot of, you know, issues with it, but excess of iron is also an issue. Mm. We think of an iron and oxygen and rust. When we oxidize iron, we rust our bodies when we have too much of it. and I've seen this with people that oxidative stress is, causes more problems with heart disease than cholesterol or triglycerides would ever do. So I'm very concerned when I see high iron levels. Uh, we had a case with an employee of mine, a, a young lady, very fit. Uh, she was, you know, would work out all the time. She worked out in the gym. She ran. She had all, all things going. Do her iron test, and it's way above normal. About 90 to 100 percent above normal, wow. mm. and she didn't eat a lot of red meats. And we were just puzzled until I, I said, "Well, you know, tell me what you take on a regular basis." She goes, "Well, I'm on birth control pills," and I'm like, "Hmm, let me look at that." <laughs> oh, turned out the placebo on the birth control pills had 75 milligrams of iron per capsule, and you should never really get more than 15 a day. Right. Yeah. She was getting way excessive amounts of iron taking these birth control pills now the birth problems with birth control pills beyond just the iron mm. but we noticed this in, in dozens of cases where women had very high iron levels very and it was because of the placebo and the uh the birth control pill and that excessive iron down the road could have really caused some a lot of health issues for her cardiovascular disease increased risk of cancers infections things like that so that's one that i'm you know, worried about it. and then also when I look at something like ferritin 
Yep. Because it's how the iron is bound with protein. That's when it works. Iron by itself is going to look for oxygen and go, let's get rusty. Yeah. You know, and if it's with protein, and that's why if we're taking iron supplements and we're anemic, we got to get those proteins in there. Okay. Because we want to make something with the iron. We don't just want it to rust. Yes. So when I look at iron and when I look at the test, I think the one that's going to give me the best judgment of whether we're working with iron and it's doing its job is total iron and ferritin. When they combine, then we see, do we have enough and is it working? Okay. All right. So ferritin's so, quite relevant there as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so once you, you know, it's uh, painting a picture once again, Shousey, that it's all well and good to run a panel and identify where these various deficiencies may be, but the answer is not as simple as just going and buying an iron supplement or a zinc yeah. supplement. There needs to be a certain kind of supplement, and there obviously needs to be a certain level of nutrition to support the the synergy yeah. of, of the supplements and how they actually work within the body. Increasing the bioavailability, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. A absolutely. You know, I, we should really get most of the nutrients we can out of our diets because that's what nature developed. This is where our synergy for thousands of years and millions of years. And now we think, well, geez, let's just make some supplements and take pop a few pills and we'll figure out what the pills are. You know, we'll, we'll just make it for profit and stuff like that. Yeah. It's got to be as close to nature as possible. Yeah. And that's what bothers me is that, you know, people go out there and they'll go to the, you know, their big supermarket and they'll buy their, you know, Cheap. supplements and going, well, I'm taking good zinc, you know, I'm taking zinc and it's zinc oxide, which is crappy and useless, yeah. but actually could be damaging. Getting it from somebody who really knows their stuff and getting the good stuff and you're just going to have to pay more. Yeah. Yep. Because it's it's one thing to buy the cheap stuff and, and say, well, you know, I'm taking it. And that's why when we see the studies out in, you know, the, the marketplace and they say, well, vitamin supplements don't work. Yeah, if you're taking crappy vitamin supplements, yeah. they're not going to work. Yeah, and you're going to get bad study results. But yeah. when they look at the studies that were done correctly with the good stuff, then these lab tests get better. Yep. And that's the key. You've got to use the good stuff and go with people who know what they're doing. Okay. That's awesome, Mark. And, um, you know, again, Tommy, I guess there's a there's a common theme here. We had uh, um, Bob, Bob Rakowski on, uh, you know, you make me want a Rakowski. He was on the other, <laughs> we've had him on and, and, and it all sort of, and it was about who it is. It always all comes back to uh, that base of, of, of good quality uh, nutrition and then the supplements sort of uh, you know if you're going to use supplementation there in addition to a, a good uh, nutritional practice and um, you know for our listener you know I think if they're at, at the very least getting uh, that nice broad spectrum of uh, uh, vegetables and, and, and then fruits and proteins and fats they're pretty much well and truly on the the right path and then the supplementation great uh, you get what you pay for I mean that's pretty standard across the board um, but also maybe, you know, it, it pays to work with, uh, you know, a functional practitioner that actually can recommend, you know, the quality supplements and, and, and where to get them rather than, like you said, going to, uh, you know, a, a big chain supermarket and uh, just getting the cheapest stuff you can find. Yeah, and I've, I've seen over 60,000 lab tests in my time. Many people have done follow-ups. And we can really tell if they're actually doing the right thing if they're changing their diets, too many times, you know, people go, well, it didn't get any better. Well, 
<laughs> you didn't buy any of the supplements that we recommended to you. Yeah. You went out and did it on your own. You didn't change your diet. So what do you expect? What do you expect? Yeah, interesting. All right. All right. Okay. That's so that's dusted. part one, the basics. The zinc, the mag, the vitamin D, fasting insulin. Fasting glucose, HbA1c. They've got a bit of an insight into that now. Great. Thyroid hormones, lipids, triglycerides, the iron. Yeah. We're all good. So we get those things down pat with quality nutrition and we're on our way. Great. There he was, Dr. Mark Schaus, part one. You know you make me want to Schaus. Uh, quality stuff there, Rudin. I thought it was fascinating what he was saying about the, you know, the reality of making all these quality lifestyle choices and nutritional changes, but, yeah. it, you know, that needs that at least three to six months for these yeah. things to manifest and actually reflect a healthy body in the blood work and the pathology. Well, like the HbA1c, that uh, average of blood sugar over the last six months, similar to that, but uh, absolutely fascinating because often we'll, we'll, we'll change our diet and because we don't feel different straight away, oh, it's not working and I revert back or, you know, we take gluten out or dairy and, and oh, I still feel the same. It's like, it we've got to give this, this time. You know, yeah. the body, you know, you've done it for, what, last... 20 years now you expect change in, in, in two weeks mm. you know so absolutely fascinating great you know, stuff that. there from Shousey so he'll be back for part two yes and um, I guess we go a little bit more lab coating in that one we look yep. at a, a few more uh, of the exotics and a, a lot of the markers around organ function and yeah. how the difference you know that the liver and the kidneys yep. and yep. all these different parts of the body work and what they it's not, need it's not too dry we try to make it a in, in enjoyable as, as, as we could so um, I think that'll be really interesting for our listeners quality stuff there from Shousey now mate Rodney, we can hear the Chariots of Fire playing mate, in the background mate this is just a glorious <laughs> song to uh, go out on that apparently not everyone loves it so we should, why don't we have a uh, petition some sort of poll yes a poll oh, yes, yes a poll yeah just let us know whether you think the Chariots of Fire is the most amazing thing you've ever heard or you think it's a garbage and it should go. We should go. Send it but not, not that it will go, because we <laughs> love it, but uh, you know, feel free to let us know what you think. Info As always. Info at underthebarpodcast.com. Yep. If you have any questions or uh, things, topics you'd like us to talk about, guests you'd like us to interview, yep. you can send those to as well. Info at underthebarpodcast.com. Go to our website and uh, check out the blog posts. Yep. And uh, have a lovely day. You too, Tom. <laughs>